and welcome to Kes Talks, Talks for our times from the Keswick Convention. This week we're making available to you all the talks from Virtually Keswick Convention, the online event held in 2020 in place of the annual summer convention in Keswick. This means you can easily catch up on any of the talks that you might have missed. This episode brings you the third seminar of the week by Rico Villanueva, exploring the topic of hope and lament. Sadly, life for many Asians has been full of hardship because of poverty and the consequences of colonialism. They still bear the scars of abuse, oppression, and dehumanization. The Philippines was under the Spaniards for more than 300 years. Our dignity was trampled to the ground. We became like a bird imprisoned in a cage. One of our Filipino lament songs expresses the agony of being a colonized people. Ibon mang may layang lumipad, kulungin mo at umiiyak. Even a bird which has the freedom to fly cries when it is caged. And for many years our people cried for liberty, for freedom. Now we have our freedom, but those hundreds of years of subjugation have left their mark on us. We are a broken people. Even now, we remain a suffering nation. We have a saying in Filipino, Sakit ng kalingkingan, dama ng buong katawan. Which in translation is, The pain of the smallest finger is felt by the whole body. And that is why we continue to survive despite our difficulties. People always ask me what I love the, about the Philippines, and I, my answer is that I love the people. The people are so resilient, they're so communal. Filipinos are generally outwardly happy, and they wouldn't uh, readily express their negative feelings. We make sure that our worship services are like a celebration, or in Filipino, like fiesta. You know. You always have to end on a happy note, even there is suffering. And I remember coming to a church one time. The previous Sunday, we were not able to go to the church because there was flooding all over. Even the churches are flooded. And the first time I was able to go to church, there was not even mention about the flood, you know. The songs are about, you know, happy, you know, and there's nothing. These problems begin to pile up. If you don't deal with them, you, you, or you don't have a way of coping with them. One of our coping mechanisms is to laugh at our problems. Laughter in, in the midst of calamity? Only in the Philippines. <laughs> only in the Philippines. If you are preaching to these displaced people, you can't just say, God is good all the time. No, that's irrelevant. Yeah. But when you say, let's cry, so it transforms the way you prepare your message. I'm Rico Villanueva. I'm the general editor of the Asia Bible Commentary Series. I also work as a part-time consultant with the Philippine Bible Society and teach part-time in Asia Graduate School of Theology here in Manila, where I teach the Book of Psalms. 
Psalms expresses uh, the anatomy of the soul. Therefore, it is fit for the Filipinos, these Psalms. But the problem is, the Psalms are written in po poetic language, so it's not easy to understand. And therefore, you know, the commentaries of uh, Dr. Rico, for example, can help a lot. It is very contextual to us. We can relate, we can relate to the Psalms. Filipinos can relate to the Psalms. There are many false teachers in our country. They're leading the people astray. That's the problem, they're leading the people astray. We have to do something about it. Of course, we have to have people like Dr. Rico so that we can teach the, the people correctly, you know. One of the marks of uh, a mature church, they said, was uh, self-theologizing. A culture, a people should be able to write or reflect theologically from their own context. So that's what we need. God is good all the time. I often hear this in church gatherings in my country, the Philippines. The worship leader would shout, God is good. And the congregation would respond all the time. Even in the midst of the pandemic when church gatherings are not possible, I continue to hear pastors and worship leaders declaring in their own online worship services, God is good all the time. I even saw a post on social media which says, who is bold enough to say that God is good even in the midst of the pandemic? Maybe some of you will be uh, the first ones to say, you know, me, God has been good to me. But how about those who are having a hard time affirming that statement? The composer of Psalm 73 admits that he struggled in affirming that God is good. Psalm 73 is attributed to Asaph, one of the worship leaders during the time of David and Solomon. Like many worship leaders today, he also declared, God is good. And it is not simply God is good. In verse 1 it says, Surely God is good. Take note of the word surely. But unlike many worship leaders today, the psalmist was honest enough to admit that he had a hard time affirming that God is good. In verse 2 he confesses, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. In the Psalms, to have one's feet slipped could mean giving up one's walk with God, turning away from God, or in the context of Psalm 73, losing one's hope in God's goodness. How did the Psalmist come to this point? Old Testament scholar Sigmund Movinkel says that the psalmist felt resentment. He felt that because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. In verse 3, the psalmist saw what he said was the prosperity of the wicked. The word prosperity here comes from the Hebrew word shalom. To have shalom is to have a life characterized by completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. Shalom's, shalom comes as the last word in the Aaronic blessing, 
you know, when it says the Lord, you know, bless you. And then at the end, it says, and give you peace. Shalom. But in Psalm 73, Shalom, which is supposed to be the experience of the psalmist, was instead the reality of the wicked. That's, that was according to what the psalmist saw. The psalmist observes that in verse 4, for example, it says, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. What happens when wicked people don't get punished, but instead experience shalom? According to the psalmist, they become boastful. In verse 6a, it says, Therefore, pride is their necklace. And not only that, you know, they, they become abusive. That's why it says in the second part of verse 6, they clothe themselves with violence. They're no longer afraid of anyone, including God. In verse 9, it says, their mouths lay claim to heaven. They even taunt God. They said, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Look at that insult in verse 11. And you know, as I read Psalm 73, I could not help but see the reality in what is happening in my own country. You know, I like the wicked in Psalm 73, who taunts God, President Duterte also said on national TV, God is stupid. Said. This was after he cursed Obama and the Pope, by the way. I also see violence that the psalmist talk about in verse 6. You know, the, the night Duterte was sworn into office, 39 people were killed. The start of what Duterte calls his war on drugs. And according to some search sources, there are now more than 30,000 people who were killed in this war. The victims are mostly poor. And what's more tragic is that the killings continue even during the lockdown. This is on top of the already miserable situation of many of our people. You know, according to one survey, the number of people who experienced forced hunger during the three months of lockdown was doubled. Some people from a nearby uh, village were forced to go, go out to beg for food, violating the quarantine laws because they said they would rather die of COVID than die of hunger. Unfortunately, instead of helping them, the police even arrested some of them. One fish vendor, vendor was forced to go out to buy fish to sell. Unfortunately, he forgot to bring his quarantine pass. That's, what, that's one of the laws. And as a result, he was put to jail. Meanwhile, you know, a police general, <clears throat> the one who implements quarantine laws in Metro Manila, had his birthday party violating all lockdown laws, and yet he was not penalized. When some complained, the president simply said, the law is the law, but leave the general to me. The general remains the implementer of the quarantine laws in Manila today. God is good all the time. 
It's not easy to affirm that when this is what you see around you. The psalmist believed in the justice of God, expressed in the divine retribution, that the righteous will be blessed, but the wicked will perish, such as with what we see in Psalm 1. But what he saw around him <clears throat> contradicted this. For while the wicked are prospering, those who are trying their best to maintain a godly life are suffering. The psalmist tried to keep his, his heart pure. He said in verse 13, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. But in spite of, of all this, he says in verse 14, All day long, I have been afflicted. All day long is an expression with me, which means all the time. So while others are shouting, God is good all the time, the psalmist is saying, God is not good to me all the time. God is not good to me all the time. The psalmist had, I mean, felt this resentment. In verse 13, the first part of verse 13 says, Surely, he says, in vain have I kept my heart pure. Earlier in verse 1, he declared, surely God is good. Now he repeats the word surely, but this time in a different tone. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. I mentioned earlier that Movin Kel believes that the psalmist had resentment, but he did not mention to whom his resentment was directed. Here it becomes clear that the psalmist felt resentment with God. He felt hurt by God. In Filipino, we would call this tampo. Uh, there is no exact English translation for tampo, unfortunately. Maybe the closest would be that. That's the feeling of resentment or, you know, the word silk. But even these two words do not capture the richness of the word tampo. Tampo refers to the feeling of hurt that comes as a result of the failure by someone very close to you to do or to fulfill an expected action. Tampo is experienced within intimate relationships. You, you only experience tampo with people you're close with. For example, your spouse, your best friend, brother or sister, or daughter, or your son. You do not experience tampo with, for example, the mayor unless you're close with him or her. And feelings of tampo or hurt with God, therefore, <clears throat> can be a good sign. It can be an indication of intimacy with God. If you have never felt tampo with God, maybe it could mean that you are not yet that close to Him. However, one does not stop with feeling of hurt. Tampo has to dealt with. For tampo, if it is not dealt with, becomes bitterness. And bitterness, if it is unchecked, can turn to anger. And we know that anger, if left unprocessed, can turn even worse to wrath, maybe. And there have been Christians who felt hurt by God. You know, they felt disappointed by Him and drifted away. Their feet slipped, losing their foothold completely. We learn from verse 1 that the psalmist too almost slipped, he said. But what did the psalmist do to deal with his feeling of resentment or tampo with God? If you go to Psalm 73 again and look at the very first verses, 
you will notice that the psalmist does not address God directly in the first verses. God is talked about only in the third person. The psalmist expresses complaints to his audience, but not to God, at least not directly. He took actually 16 verses before he finally decided to go into the sanctuary of God. Interestingly, this is similar to how we deal with tampo in Filipino culture. You know, the person who has some feeling of tampo or hurt will try to avoid the other person. We are not that confrontative, you know. We, we would tend to not talk to the person who caused the tampo or the feeling of tampo. So you would do all kinds of actions like stamp our feet or even leave the house you know, to, uh, to avoid the person. The difference in Psalm 73, though, is that the psalmist also dealt with his tampo with God directly. In verse 17, it says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God. What does entering into the sanctuary of God mean? The sanctuary of God is a place where one meets with God. As the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 2, When can I go and meet with God? You know, referring to his longing to go to the house of God in verse 4. So going to the sanctuary of God means what? It means meeting with God. It would have been wonderful though had the psalmist give us some, some more information what he did there. For example, what did he tell God when he met with him? What was his prayer like? Thankfully, the context of Psalm 73, as well as the next Psalm, Psalm 74, give us some clue. One of the characteristic cries of the lament is the question, why? And I would like to believe that when the psalmist entered into the sanctuary of God, one of the first things he said to God was, why? You know? Because even though the psalmist did not explicitly ask God why in the first, I mean, in the whole Psalm 73, you can actually feel this in the psalmist's indirect complaint about the prosperity of the wicked and his own experience of suffering. Johanna Katanach's rendering of the prayer in Psalm 73 in his book, Praying Through the Psalms, captures the lament of the psalmist. He writes, O Lord, if you are good, then why don't you remove oppression? And then when you go to Psalm 74, you begin to realize that the, the question why becomes more explicit. You know, one of the developments in Psalms interpretation is the idea that the Psalms were not randomly placed together. That rather, there is a deliberate and purposeful arrangement of the Psalms. So for example, that Psalm 73 is followed by Psalm 74 should not be seen as merely incidental. Like Psalm 73, Psalm 74 is also attributed to Asaph. And when you compare the two Psalms, <clears throat> Psalm 73 and Psalm 74 shows important links. For example, the word sanctuary is mentioned in Psalm 73, 17 and repeated in Psalm 74, verse 7. The word ruin as well, mentioned in Psalm 73, 18, and repeated in Psalm 74, verse 3. That is why it is not an accident that Psalm 74 be begins with the word or with the question why. The very first word in Psalm 74 is actually why. 
Although in the English translations, Psalm 74 begins with the words, O God, and then why. Actually, in Hebrew, the original begins with the word, why? Why, O God? And one Psalms commentator actually felt that the, the writer of Psalm 74 lacked etiquette because why did he start it? Why did he start with the question why right away? But I think the reason why Psalm 74 begins in this way or can't begin with the why right away is because it is not meant to be read alone. Psalm 74 is intended to be a companion to Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 already prepared the way, as it were, for the question why. According to Psalms commentator Clinton McCann, and I quote, it seems likely, he says, that this, the experience of the I, you know, the psalm is speaking in Psalm 73, was offered or at least was eventually understood as a model for the whole people of God in confronting the prosperity of the wicked. You know, Psalm 74 is a communal lament. So you have an individual lament modeling, for example, the prayer when there's a prosperity of the wicked for the community of God in Psalm 74. And in Psalm 74, the people not only asked God why, <clears throat> they also uttered what we call an imprecatory prayer. And I would like to believe that the psalmist also prayed the same in Psalm 73. He prayed an imprecatory prayer. What is an imprecatory prayer? You know, I've been studying the Psalms of Lament for some time now and reflecting on it. What would that mean in my own Filipino culture? And you know, I discovered this word, uh, I mean, as the more I reflect on it, I think the word, Filipino word, pagsusumbong, you know, captures the idea of imprecatory very well. But sometimes it's lost in, in English. You know, the word pagsusumbong in English means like reporting. But again, it, is, it does not capture the richness of the word because the idea in pagsusumbong is that first, there is a powerful bully. Second, the victim is weak and vulnerable. In our context, it's usually a child, you know, bullied by a bigger one, you know, a powerful bully. And then the child, third, goes to someone to report, you know, pagsusumbong, what is done to him. And, and usually, he goes to someone he trusts. He doesn't just go to anyone. You make sumbong or pagsusumbong to one you trust. And you go to that person because you are not able to do anything. You, you no longer have anyone to go to. So you go to that person. And in Psalm 73 and 74, who is the bully? In Psalm 73, they're the wicked people. They're the powerful, abusive. They're violent people. And in Psalm 74, verse 18, they're described as wild beasts. And that is why in Psalm 74, verse 18, the psalmist, I mean, the people say, praise to God. Do not hand over the life of your dove to the wild beasts. And notice how the victims are described in verse 18. They're described as the, the life of your dove, you know, the most vulnerable of God's creation, the dove. That is why the community go to God to ask in verse 22, Rise up, O God, and defend, defend your cause. And this prayer to rise up arose in the book of Numbers from the context of the battle. You know, in, in Numbers 10, 35 to 36, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let them that hate you flee before you. 
So it's a prayer that God will do something on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable. And I would like to believe that the psalmist, when he entered into the sanctuary of God, also prayed to God, God, rise up. Do something about the wicked. And in that sense, there's, there's the, the, the element of hope there because the imprecatory prayers are expressions of hope. As Eric Sanger explains, and I quote, these prayers to God, you know, the imprecatory prayers, these prayers to, to God to judge the wicked are an expression of hope in God's justice. You know, because we, we know that human justice is imperfect. And so by calling on God to intervene, he says, the psalmist is affirming that God is the utterly, fairly, and all-knowing judge. To those who are suffering, they're a message of hope. You know, the imprecatory prayers are a message of hope that God will not let the wicked get away with it forever. That is why it is not surprising if you will proceed right after the psalmist entered into the sanctuary of God. In verse 18, it says, Surely, the psalmist says, and this is now the third, surely. Surely God is good, surely in vain, but now there's now assurance. You know this. Surely you place them on slippery ground, referring to the wicked. You cast them down to ruin. At the end of his prayer, you notice that there is a renewed hope. At the beginning, he, um, he mentioned God is good. And it's very interesting. At the end of the psalm, I'm in Psalm 73, in verse 28, he says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. God is good all the time. The psalmist would respond by saying, For me, what is really good is to be near God. To be near God. To encounter Him. To open one's heart to Him. To have someone to go to in the midst of all of life's anguish and torment. That is what is really good. The Lord bless you. Amen. Well, isn't that great to hear? God is indeed good all the time, and it's great that we can be near to him, however we're feeling. Now, we're really fortunate to have Rico uh, Villanueva with us now. Hello, Rico. Where are you uh, calling to us from? Hi. I'm, uh, good afternoon or good evening. No, it's good evening here from in Manila. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here with you. Hi. I think it's morning still just with us here, but it's great to be with you whatever time okay. it is. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so yeah. much for joining us, Rico, and being willing to answer a few questions. Uh, people have been sending them in during your seminar, and you can continue to send them in now during the question and answer session. Uh, the number that's just on the screen, do text them in. But we've had a few send in already, Rico, so uh, let, me, let me just yes. get started with this one. What do you think makes the difference then, Rico, between lamenting and just grumbling? Oh, thank you for that question. Grumbling is more of an expression of unbelief or lack of faith. Just like we read in the book of Numbers, when the people grumbled, God became angry and judged them because 
in spite of all the miracles that God did, they still did not believe. Lament, on the other hand, is more of an expression of faith. So, for example, when the psalmist asks God why, he is asking why precisely because he genuinely believes in God's word. So, for example, like a child who trusts in his father or mother's promise, the psalmist believes what God says. That is why he laments when God appears to be not doing what he said or promised. And in the uh, talk this this morning in Psalm 73, we, we also see there that lament is a sign of intimacy. So the closer you are to God, mm. the more open you become with him. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's lovely. Thanks, Rico. That idea of it being an intimate relationship. So actually, all the things that we are niggling or grumbling about, we're, we're, we're directing them towards God, aren't we? Rather than away from him or towards other people. Yeah, that's great. Helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rico, just connected Welcome. with that. Um, how can we encourage people to lament honestly, but without them losing their hope in God? Uh, Lament in itself is a sign of hope. You see, uh, you are lamenting because you believe that there is someone there mm. uh, with whom you can be honest to about what you really feel. And of course, some people uh, feel afraid that you know when you lament too much, you might lose your faith. But actually, the more you become open to God and you come to Him, and even ask him why, pour out your heart, the closer you become, you, you, you come to him. And sometimes after a moment of lament, you, you, you receive this hope, you know, isn't it? That in our experience, after we cry out to God, after we lament, then there's some sort of a release. So actually the, the hope arises uh, sometimes out of the lament. Of course, there, will be, there may be times when Lament can bring you down, down or the spiral. So it's also important that you don't lament together, but there's also community. You see, lament in the Bible is not only privatized, but there is a community. So yeah, even in the Old Testament, the Psalms are used in the liturgy, in the community of God's people. So you don't lament alone, but with a community. Yeah. Yes, Jonti. That's really Thank helpful, you. just thinking how our brothers and sisters can help us lament and help us to focus on the hope as we lament. Rico, that's great. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we've got this slightly interesting one, bit, a bit different for you here, Rico. Do you think that uh, wicked oppression by a seeming cabal of despots globally is unique for our time? Why are Christians seen to support them in many countries? That's been sent in by Mark. Okay. Now, you... I would need your help because I don't understand words like cabal of despots. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, I think it's, you, it's talking okay. about an oppression by uh, uh, a lot of wicked uh, men uh, globally. Mm. So there, there seems to be, uh, at this particular point in time, um, individuals that are ruling countries um, not necessarily in a godly way. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not unique to our time. I mean, we have, of course, Hitler, and in our own history, we have the Spaniards for 300 years, as I said in, my, in, in, in the introduction. But, but the problem is, why are Christians supporting them? And, and I think this is where 
uh, the lack of lament comes in because in the lament you also see the imprecatory prayers. You know? They are the prayers for God's justice. See, and and I see some Christians only know one kind of prayer. You know, bless, bless, bless. Even when there are wicked people around, they would just say blessed. And I see that in my own country. But how about if we try the imprecatory prayer? What does the imprecatory prayer teach us? I think that that would be one of the good things. I mean, some important things that Christians can learn from the imprecatory prayer. And I think the reason why Christians support this prayer is partly because we have neglected the lament and the imprecatory prayers in particular. Thanks, Rico. That's, yeah, that's really helpful to understand that. Just picking that up, Rico, we've got a question here. Um, someone who's appreciative of your ministry. Rico, thank you for enriching uh, God's word with Filipino cultural um, perspectives. A great blessing to the worldwide church. Can you explain why in Western cultures hardly any Bible teachers will mention imprecation, let alone understand it? Yep. I, oh, thank you for your appreciation of my own culture. You see, when, when I tried to share, explain Psalm 73, I could not but use my own culture because I, I realized that my own Filipino culture as an Asian, as a Filipino, actually helps me understand the, the Psalms better. And uh, one reason I think why in the Western cultures uh, they don't teach imprecation that much is probably because uh, they that's where they needed another culture to help them for example i mentioned about pagsusumbong which is the equivalent in my own culture for imprecation you know when you when there's a bully you have you you need someone to protect you and that's called pagsusumbong so you go to this person whom you trust and that is uh, imprecatory prayer in my own culture which can also be used by you know westerners in understanding this uh, application of the imprecation i think that's helpful and i wonder whether this is just a, a punt but i wonder whether imprecation is also something that becomes more precious to you um, the more you suffer and the more kind of violence the that you suffer as a, as a follower of God. I was wondering if that's been absent from Western culture for a while. Just a, just a thought, I don't know. Exactly. That's, you, Anna. that's a good point, John. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, one question that's come in about uh, the Psalm 73 you were, you were um, talking to us about. In verse 15, the psalmist uh, seems to distance himself from the things he'd said earlier. What do you make of that change in the psalm there? Yep, so that's a good question and, it, and also a difficult one because the psalmist seems to be saying that uh, what he did in the previous verses is wrong. His expressions of doubt, his indirect complaints, and, and as I, but as I mentioned in my talk, the psalmist had this resentment, or from a Filipino culture, we would understand this as stampo, you know. So the psalmist is already grumbling against God, but in his heart. And there's the danger there of completely slipping away and becoming like the wicked, you know. So I would have spoken that, he said. And the psalmist may have been tempted to go that way and almost turn away from God, he said. The main difference is that he went to God. And I think that's the key in the lament. When you struggle within you, uh, your feelings of resentment, don't uh, 
don't own that within you. You go to God. And the more that you use this to be closer to Him, the problem is sometimes, you know, some Christians are taught not to be brutally honest to God. You know, so some Christians just uh, keep within them their feelings of hurt, which became, becomes more serious sometimes until it's it's completely uh, too late already. You know, they want they have driven drifted away from God, and they have lost their faith. So it's it uh, the psalmist is teaching us. Uh, a way to deal with that. I'm struggling with my faith, but I will come to God. So that's what he did there in Psalm 73. Thank you. Yeah, great. No, that. thank you. That's really helpful. And we were talking earlier, Rico, you were saying that the word tampo in, in English kind of means a sulky grumpiness, doesn't it? So that idea of keeping it yep. all inside and I'm going to be grumpy and sulky about this. But the lament is almost the opposite. It's the pushing it out, you're saying, and turning it back to God. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Rico, another question. Um... That's come in. Is there a danger in lament that we blame God rather than take responsibility, especially for our own sin? I think this is a really helpful question, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are times when uh, there's the danger then of uh, blaming God rather than taking responsibility of uh, our sins or what we've done. But the, the difference with the lament, though, is that. Lament arises out of extremely difficult situation to, on, of, of which you do not have any control. You know, you have done your part. For example, poor people—they're powerless. So, so, so you're lamenting because you have done your part, and so you're asking God why. You know, and like in Psalm 10, why do you stand far off, O God? Why, why are you like hiding in in times of trouble? We need your help. You know, so something like that. So, if you have done your responsibility. And yet uh, things are still the same and you've been praying to God, but there seems to be no answer then. I think that's not blaming God, uh, but just be, being honest to God about what you really feel. That's helpful. Thank you, brother. Uh, we've got Thank one you. here, Rico. It talks about how does uh, lamenting fit with James's uh, call to... Uh, have pure joy, consider it pure joy when we face trials. How does that fit with the idea of lamenting? Yeah, uh, of course, when uh, the Bible talks about uh, not only James, but even the Apostle Paul rejoicing the Lord always, that does not mean that we will always rejoice and so on. There are also times when the Apostle Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. And in the same way, uh, there will be times when you want to count it all joy, but you just can't, you know. And so the, the beauty with the lament is it's okay to be not okay, as I've written in the title of my book. I mean, Lord, honestly, I want I want to rejoice. I want to count it all joy, but I just can't. You know? And of course, even our Lord, when he was on the cross, didn't count it all joy, obviously. You know, he he lamented, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful, isn't it? That example of Christ on the cross. I find that really helpful. Thanks, Rico. Well, just in the final few okay. minutes, I wonder if you could help us just to think through what difference does the coming of Christ make to how or even whether we lament? Mm -hmm. with, the, with the coming of Christ, we, we have hope in the Lord. And that is why 
we have more courage to confront our situation and we can lament. You see, one of the challenges in the lament is to, to confront our situations because people of God, unfortunately Christians, uh, tend to deny the situation. Of, of course, we, we, can't, we, we always say God is in control and all of that. But then what if, like the psalmist, you, you go to that situation where it's really tragic? The good thing is that we know that even the tragic has a place in divine, God's divine sovereignty because of God's, I mean, Jesus's resurrection on the cross. And uh, some Christians think that because Christ has already come, we should no longer lament, that the lament is uh, an Old Testament thing. But as I mentioned, Jesus cried on the cross. And by doing that, he, he's, he did two things. First, he affirmed the lament of the Old Testament people. And second, he provided a model for the people of God now, for New Testament believers, that it's all right to lament before God. You know. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rico. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but thank you so much for coming and for sharing your wisdom. Pleasure. Thank you, and take care, Rico. Lovely to have you with us. God bless. Thank you. Blessings, everyone. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Well, let's just take a minute now uh, to pray as we uh, think about the things that we've just heard. Thank you, Father God, that even in times of great distress, we can draw near to you. Thank you so much for Christ's example on the cross of crying out to you in the midst of his agony. Please help us to follow his example, to turn to you in our sorrows and to lament. Amen. Amen. Thanks again to Rico and that brings us to the end of our seminar. Do join us this evening for our evening celebration at 8 and then back tomorrow morning at 9 for prayer and 10 for our morning session. Next at 12, we have Count Everyone In. Pete and Christine Windmill will bring us um, uh, a teaching which is accessible to all. Do you stay around? Thank you. Thanks for listening. Talks from Virtually Keswick Convention are all being made available through Kes Talks. You can access them through iTunes and Spotify, as well as your favourite podcasting apps. You can also watch the sessions via the Keswick Convention YouTube channel or by visiting the Virtually Keswick website at vkc.keswickministries.org.